Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Poor boys are back with another review from a film from our ever-increasing Criterion Libraries. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chris. And this month we're reviewing 1958's The Blob, number 91 on the Criterion release schedule. But before we get into our review of the Criterion disc for that classic film, let's talk about the films that came out in March of 2022. Because this comes out in December of 2022, so these movies will have already come out by then. Okay. All right. First up on March 8th, uh, Adoption from 1975 was released. Writer-director Marta Mazzaro's drama about a lonely middle-aged woman who wants to give birth to a child, but her acquaintance with dysfunctional teenagers leads her to the idea of adoption. On March 15th, uh, Les Circle Rouge on 4K uh, from 1970 was released. Writer-director Jean-Pierre Melville's crime thriller tells the story of a master thief named Corey, freshly released from prison, who crosses paths with a notorious escapee and an alcoholic former policeman. The three men soon plot an elaborate heist, previously released on DVD, being released on Blu-ray and 4K for the first time. On March 22, 1965's The Flight of the Phoenix, James Stewart and Richard Attenborough star on the film that tells the story of an oil company plane that crashes in the Sahara, forcing the survivors to rely on one of the passengers, an airplane designer, who plans for them to build a flyable plane from the wreckage. On March 29th, uh, saw the release of 1978's The Last Waltz, also on 4K, Martin Scorsese's documentary about the final concert of The Band. And then uh, also on March 29th, 1997's Love Jones was released. Writer-director Theodore Witcher's film that tells the story of Darius Lovehall, a young black poet in Chicago who starts dating Nina Mosley, a beautiful and talented photographer. While trying to figure out if they've got a love thing or just kicking it, they hang out with their friends talking about love and sex. Then Nina tests the strength of Darius Darius's feelings and sets a chain of romantic complications into motion. And those are the films that were released in March, 2022. So Chris, which of these, if any, will be the first ones that you'd be interested in picking up on criterion. Well, I think that goes without saying would be flight of the Phoenix because the rest seem to be kind of downers (laughs) as opposed to a story about a bunch of people stuck in the desert after a plane crash. But uh, yeah, Flight of the Phoenix, I would watch. Actually, The Last Waltz, I would very much like to see. Kind of uh, now that I look at it. Well, I mm. I I I, kind, I tend to agree with you. Flight of the Phoenix is the one I'm most familiar with. Le Circle Rouge, I'm a little bit curious, but that's already been released on DVD. I don't have it yet, but uh, it's being released on 4K. I gotta say, I'm not a big fan of the band, and mm-hmm. I. I it's, I, I know a few of their songs, and even the ones I know does, doesn't cause me to want to rush out and pick up that 4K disc. <laughs> uh, you know, I know that's a considered one of the best documentary films about a 
concert out there, but uh, I don't like the subject matter. <laughs> so, so I, I think I'm going to stick with Flight of the Phoenix. So, you, so you're looking forward to doing the waltz, though, huh? The last waltz. <laughs> no, I'm not looking forward. To... <laughs> so, somebody says, "I want to do that one on Criterion." You go do it. <laughs> you have at it. You have at it, big guy. Yeah, Patrick and I'll catch flight of the Phoenix and uh, yeah. knock that puppy out. It's like when somebody says, hey, have you guys done the Criterion for Fanny and Alexander? Uh, no. <laughs> Four-hour fucking movie with like three commentaries and a longer version? No, thank you. I, I, want, I want to have a life. but and So that seems like one that Chris would want to do. Not me, Chris. <laughs> All right. Well, what about a film that you would like to see be released on Criterion? Oh, you caught me off guard with that oh. one. Uh, are we talking older or any film? Any film. They release new films on the Criterion. No, I know. I, I, I'm trying to think if there's something that really, you know, again, a movie that I've brought up in the past that I don't know if you've done a review of, and I don't even know if they have a Criterion of, but it's a movie that I, I've said before, it's the one that made me want to make movies was the final countdown. And I'd love to see that a criterion of that. If they ever did it with Kirk Douglas and Martin Sheen. Yeah. Where if they go back to Pearl Harbor. <clears throat> yep. Oh. Yeah. I love that movie. I that, saw that when it came out in the theaters and for whatever reason, that was the one that got me. And I said, this is what I want to do for a living. Little did I know I had no money or talent or skill, <laughs> but I knew that I wish I could do that. So that would be, yeah. I, if I could pick one, that would be the one. You know, the, the, you know that's a that's a really underappreciated science fiction film from the early 1980s that I I, agree. You know, I I remember seeing that at a drive-in, and at the time because I was really young, I think I was probably nine. You know, I I didn't even understand really what Pearl Harbor was. I don't think, but you know, it yeah. was. But when I grew up, it was like, wow, that was that that was an interesting concept for a film. Yeah, I think that's one. If you went back and watched it now as an adult. You, I think, and I've seen it a few times through the years in its entirety, it still holds its own. I mean, it still holds up. And I think if you saw it as an adult now, you know, having life experiences and knowing what you know now, I think you'd still appreciate it even more. I agree. The special effects were a little, you know, they were what they were, but the storyline was good. The historical element to it was good. And I thought that the uh, the plot of it was really good and the acting was great. I, I, I just, it was an enjoyable movie. So if that ever does come out as a criterion or if there's ever the opportunity to do that movie, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be on that one. Uh, well, I you know, I always try to keep them tied to the film we're reviewing. My tie to this one is Steve McQueen, a mm -hmm. film that I really liked. It's probably, it probably my introduction to Steve McQueen when I was a kid was The Hunter which I believe yep. was his last film, if I remember correctly. And that and Tom Jones were about the same time. I think they're very close, but yeah. I really enjoyed that film when I was a kid. I remember it coming on HBO and watching it multiple yep. times. And it was, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to see kind of go back, especially in, in the, it, through the prism of that was his last film, you know, mm -hmm. and I think it was the last film released may not be the last film he made, but uh, it, it was, it was an entertaining film in the day and I would love to revisit that and kind of see what people have to say about the experience of working with him just prior to his death. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I, I remember seeing it the same way you did. It was, uh, I think on HBO and I caught it there and honestly that might've been the first 
I don't know if it was the first Steve McQueen movie I saw or the first one of his that I remember seeing, but it's the first one that I definitely remember seeing of his. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I still remember so many of those scenes and how he kind of played that, you know, anti-hero, kind of the understated hero. And I, I thought he did a really good job in it. And you'd never know that he was really, you know, in bad shape, dying of cancer and on his last legs at that point, because it seemed like a pretty physical film for him to do. Yeah, very, very much so. All right, well, let's, moving on to our review, The Blob, uh, number 91 of the Criterion release schedule, and usually we start by talking about what versions we have. Chris, you don't have it on disc, or blue, uh, DVD, or Blu-ray, which is already available on each. You watched it off the Criterion channel, correct? That That's correct. All right, so I have the Blu-ray version, uh, so I'll describe the cover to you. I wish I, I should have taken a picture and sent it to you, but... I'll it, see if I can look it up here. It is, it is, it's a very art, artful cover. It looks like a, it basically a, you know, movie poster from the 1950s. So it really plays into the genre. You know, it's, it's got Steve McQueen on the phone pointing towards something, you know, some teenagers on the bottom right hand corner, the blob coming off the top and somebody's arm sticking out of the blob. Uh, Irvin S. Yeworth Jr.'s The Blob indescribable indestructible nothing can stop it uh on the back of the cover you still you have that same image of the hand in the corner and just basic uh design the inside of the box you have the design that was uh used during the opening credits of the film kind of the ripple effect of water is how they described it uh on a white Mm -hmm. uh, white background and then the insert has, I, I think this is a, a portion of the actual theatrical poster, which is very rare. You don't see Criterion usually adapt that for the the ins, for the insert. And then they have a few pictures of cast members uh, throughout the insert with the, the, the little essay uh, written by um, Kim Newman. So uh, did you find a picture of the, the cover? I did. I'm looking at it right now, the front and back. I'm wondering, is this... Was this the movie poster? The, the no, the movie okay. poster is uh, it has does not have Steve McQueen on it. It has uh, it has a, a woman uh, on it, and that's why I'm saying the insert is I think is the movie poster because it was part of the promotional materials as part of my disc that they showed, uh, and it has the diner in the background, people running out of the diner, but it does not feature Steve McQueen, unlike the cover of the Criterion, which does feature Steve McQueen because that was the big portion of it that people seem to remember now. Yeah. For. <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking at the original movie poster now. Yeah. What, what do you think of the cover for the criterion? I love the cover for the criterion. Let me go back to that one. The cover for the tri- criterion is great. It's, it's got all the elements, you know, that you see other than the hand sticking out is kind of, kind of funny. It looks like it's the same hand on back on the back cover as well. Yeah, I like it. It's, you know, it's got all the kids. It's got the cops. It's got the fire extinguishers. The co- it tells you everything right there in that picture. <laughs> Gives you all the spoilers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other than, you know, the final scene where they're dropping it in the Arctic. Where's the fire? Oh, there's a fire extinguisher. Okay. The kid yeah, with the, the cigarette, the which I don't think we saw kids. Look, I, uh, that's one thing. Look at all the kids with cigarettes there. I don't remember a single cigarette in the film. Oh yeah, he does. He's 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 got one lit up. Yeah. Oh, and same same with the guy coming out. Oh, they all they're all smoking. Yeah, I know. And that's not oh, something wow. you saw in the film. No, you didn't see it at all in the film. So, uh, I don't even think you saw the adults smoking. Did no, you? 
No, he didn't. That must okay, that probably goes back to I'm sure what we'll get into the fact that this was made by a religious <laughs> film studio. Correct. You know, I love the cover cover as well. I think it's a gr- one of the better covers for a Criterion. Uh, I think this was created for it. I think they really captured kind of the the motif of a 1950s science fiction horror film uh, and uh, played it up. I mean, it looks like a theatrical poster from that era, and I, I think it's a great great cover. Unlike the original cover, or sorry, the original poster, which I thought was pretty simplistic <laughs> and did, I mean, it covered the blob, but it didn't really cover the actors in the film. And so I mm-hmm. prefer this over that. Well, it probably would have covered the actors more if Steve McQueen was a star at the time. I'm sure that's, they would have featured him that's true. way more prominently. All right. Well, what about the conversion quality of the picture when you watched it off the Criterion channel? How good was the picture? How good was the sound? It looked and sounded great. They did. It was funny because in the two versions I saw, and again, I, I watched them about a day apart. For some reason, it seemed like they were different versions. It seemed like there were scenes in one that were not in the other, or at least shots, not necessarily scenes. But when I watched the second version, uh, which was the I watched number two first and number one second. When I watched number one, it seemed like there were certain shots in there that I didn't notice in the first one. So I don't know if they maybe did two different looks at it or not. I I wouldn't imagine because I don't think they had the budget to shoot that much unnecessary footage. But it just seemed like there were scenes in, in one of them that weren't in the other, or at least shots. But I thought the conversion was really good. The audio aspect of it was really good. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was done around 2000. Uh, to, uh, yes. 1999, 2000, somewhere it, around yeah, there. Yeah, it was uh, the original DVD release of The Blob. It's number 91, so it was early on in the Criterion days. Uh, was released in 2000. Okay. Yeah, it was good. How was how it on the disc? The disc was really good. Uh, you know, I can't say the sound was amazing, uh, but it, was, it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think just recently I did uh, Nightmare Alley with Chris, and this had far superior sound compared to that. The picture was immaculate. I mean, it was uh, it was a great restoration of the film. You know, there was n- no burn marks, no, you know, no uh, uh, obvious defects in the 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 presentation of the film. So uh, yeah, it's it's what I expect from a Criterion disc. See, I don't have really anything to uh, reference it to because this was actually the first one where I've actually seen the Criterion commentary. So I don't know how it compares to some of the other ones you've done already. Well, you need to do these a little more often and then you'll have uh, I'd be glad to. <laughs> just, you know, you're just going to have to avoid some of those French ones. <laughs> Le Cercle Rouge. <laughs> Le Cercle Rouge. Uh, you, you know, we're recording around Christmas, but there's one called A Christmas Tale uh, that uh, Chris and I, or sorry, Bobby and I reviewed last year. And it is a French Christmas film. And the cover, I didn't understand what the cover was until I watched the film. And then I was like, oh, it's it's a, basically a Christmas tree, but it's a Christmas tree is being formed out of a cigarette smoke. And I went, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. All right. Well, what? let's talk about the extras on the disc. And that's what we usually come here to talk about on a Criterion. Uh, we have two separate commentaries, as uh, Chris has already mentioned. We have an auto, audio commentary by producer Jack Harris and film historian Bruce Eder, or Eater. Uh, and then you have a audio commentary with director Irvin S. Yeworth Jr. and actor Robert Fields. I believe he played Tony in the film. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, then on the Blu-ray disc, you have the original th- theatrical trailer for The Blob. And then you have a blob I think that's what it's, I'm trying to pronounce that, but Blobabilia, which is a, it's not a video. It's basically you're clicking forward through uh, the chapters and you get a collection of stills, posters, behind the scenes photographs, publicity materials, special effects, props, and then ultimately the blob itself uh, that shows a picture of a, a memorabilia collector in Pennsylvania who uh, has it to this day in a bucket because it doesn't apparently be what uh with the silicone it doesn't dry out or anything like that all it does is it doesn't hold the color so you have to stir it from time to time to maintain the color but it holds the viscosity of it or whatever apparently i guess so uh and then uh each of those has a text description which precedes the actual picture so you knew what you're looking at and then of course you have the the leaflet i I previously described with an essay by a film critic kim newman so those are the extras off the blob so let's get with what is different on the criterion channel you've already mentioned the commentary so you got both of those yeah all right what what i what i wanted to do and i don't know if i i was not able to get to the Criterion channel. I got to the Criterion channel online and I was actually going to watch it online because I thought that they had all the other items that you mentioned. Like I could go in and see the stills and everything if I watched it on the online version. But for whatever reason, this was not the movie itself. Nothing was playing online. So I had to go watch it on, you know, on TV, on the actual Criterion channel on TV. So I don't know if they actually do some of those other extras on the online version. Oh. I was assuming they did, but it just wouldn't let me into it. So on the television version, you didn't have the blobabilia or whatever no. and, and the no. trailer, which is surprising well, it, that it, you don't well, have the trailer. It, actually, it did have the trailer. I didn't okay. see it. I didn't watch it though, but I did have the trailer. Okay. So you had the trailer and you had the commentaries. Correct. All right. So it's just the blobabilia. And then of course, obviously the leaflet that's actually in the, the Blu-ray. So not a, g- a great difference. I, I got to say the blobabilia is it's, it's okay, uh, but it is not the strength of these extras by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think the stills have to be great. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Nah. I mean, no. You, you, you. I mean, it's just a picture, you know. And okay. As much as they say a picture is worth a thousand words, I'd rather have somebody say a thousand words in a video than to just to <laughs> okay. show me a picture. But it, I, I, it's a, it, it's a moving medium. I don't like to look at pictures, <laughs> so. If I wanted to look at a picture, I'd go buy a fucking book. But that's... <laughs> but see, then you got to read words, and I don't like to read words. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't like to read words when I'm watching a movie. That makes it a little difficult. <laughs> All right. So what? based off, you, you have the two commentaries on the trailer. What what extras are you think are missing? What would you have liked to have seen included on the Criterion channel with the blob? Well, I mean, obviously, and it couldn't happen, would have been great to, if they'd ever been able to have any type of Steve McQueen commentary before he passed away, would have been, you know, phenomenal to see. But I thought it was just, and again, without having a lot of reference, having not having done other criterions, I would like to have heard more different points of view on this movie. I'm assuming a, a reason that they didn't have more of the actors or more of the cast or i'm sorry more of the crew was because a lot of them just are probably no longer living because it's it's you know it's a 1958 movie but i really would have liked to have gotten more than just the two voices on each of the commentaries well and you have the actor and the director 
and no, and these people are never in the same room. They're not having a running dialogue. It's no. one person's talking and then it shifts to another person talking. And as much as I, it's nice to have a film critic instead of nobody talking about the film and, and, and lacking a commentary, I didn't care what the film, uh, the film critic had to really say, you know, he threw, he throws in yeah. some historical notes from time to time. But I think hearing from the, I would love to have seen the actor, the producer and the director in one room mm-hmm. having a discussion between themselves about the, about the film. I think that would have been yeah. a much, much livelier and better commentary. And is that the way it's normally done? I would assume. Depends from time to time. Yeah. You know, it's it, you know, some, a lot of times you'll get the kind of stilted commentary. I think that there's better commentaries when you get into, you know, I'm going to use, although I think this is not a good commentary, Tim Robbins and uh, Kevin Costner doing the commentary for Bull Durham was mm-hmm. an interesting commentary, except for they would just shut up and not say anything for like 90 seconds at a time from time to time because they're just watching <laughs> themselves act. But, you know, hearing them kind of like, you know, to talk about what was going on, which is, is I thought was, you know, a little bit entertaining. And you got a little of that with the actor, the guy who played Tony in this, mm-hmm. because, you know, he talks about that scene where the director, which interesting, he's paired with that director and the commentary, but they're never in the same room who kept mm-hmm. saying he was doing something wrong in a scene. And Steve McQueen said, Hey, I think I, I think I know what you're going for. I'll, I'll go talk to him. And came over and said, just keep fucking doing what you're doing. You know, fuck yeah. this guy. You know, I thought that was a great story. You know, like it, it fits into what we think of and know of, of Steve McQueen. And then he came back and did the exact same thing. And the director was like, Oh, that's great. Cut print, you know, and, and moving on. And I, I, those are the types of the stories that I like to hear from time to time about the making of a film. Yeah. And it was, those would have been much better. You know, the actor playing Tony spent 60% of the time talking about himself and yeah. his background and his, you know, his great black hair and his lack of getting laid on that summer and all that. I would like to have heard more of the stories about, you know, he talked a little bit about Steve McQueen and how he kind of looked up to him as a, I don't want to say an authority figure, but Steve McQueen was like 10 years older than him and was already in actor studio, which at that time he was trying to get into. And and he had some good stories about, you know, what it was like when you when you audition for the actor studio and there could be a thousand people auditioning and maybe one or two would get in and there was this bar that they would go to. And when someone jumped up on the table and cheered, you knew they got in more of those kinds of stories, which were about the movie itself or at least about some of the people involved in it would have been better. I just, I, it was almost like they just said, watch the movie and just tell us what you remember. It wasn't like there was really a lot of thought that went into it. It was almost like they, they, they just sat him down and he hadn't seen the movie in a while. And he was just kind of going, Oh, I remember this. And I remember that. And it wasn't really a lot about from his, from the actor standpoint, it wasn't really a lot about things that went into the making of it. I got more of that out of the director and out of the producer on the other one. Oh yeah, I, I agree with you on that. The the the, the star was t- oh sorry, star the actor, <laughs> and you know we're we're not giving him credit for you know Robert Fields. Uh, yeah, he was talking about himself and his career, and every once in a while he would tangentially talk about something that happened on the blob, which I thought was the most interesting things that he wanted to talk about. So he was a little frustrating. Yeah, he had yeah. some interesting stories about his career, but at the end of the day. If you're on a commentary about the blob, talk about the blob. 
you know, they, let's, exactly. let's talk about that film. And, and, and I agree with you on that is that's where I think it would have been better to have people engaged in a conversation because it would always kind of have swung back to discussing this. I mean, there were still elements of that with the director and the producer as well, especially the producer who talked about, you know, interacting with Steve McQueen throughout his entire life before he passed away in the early 1980s, you know, but you know, he, he stayed more focused on the film, uh, much more mm-hmm. so than Robert Fields did. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, this is having watched, this was relatively new to me. So I don't really have a frame of reference to know if that's the normal way that these actors do it again. Maybe if he and the director had been in the same room, they would have played off each other a lot better, uh, to get that dynamic out of them. You know, the thing I was, much as you said, too, is that you would like to have seen Steve McQueen, you know, have something to do with him. Uh, And he didn't, I mean, he was uh, supposedly did not like to talk about the blob because he felt like he got underpaid because the film became a success and and he chose not to take a a portion of the back end. Uh, But I would like to have seen, get people together who are involved in this production, such as the the director, the producer, the star, or one of the actors, and have them talk about Steve McQueen, even if just mm-hmm. for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, just relaying stories about what he's doing. I mean, you got little bits and pieces of that in the commentary, but it would be, once again, interesting to see them talk about that, about working with him on this film before he becomes Steve McQueen, yeah. the, the legendary actor. Well, and they talk a little bit about, you know, they bumped into him, they bumped into him down the road a little bit, and but they don't really go into too much detail in terms of, you know, looking back and talking about it. Yeah, and I thought one of the nice touches on it, which I don't know if you were going to get into or if I'm jumping ahead, but one of the nice touches on it was, uh, I think, I don't, I think it was the producer that mentioned, you know, when Steve McQueen died, when they went to clear out his house, the only thing he had on his wall was a poster of the blob. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they characterize that as like, oh, you know, he truly treasured that art, you know, that what brought him basically made him a star and everything like that. And I, I kind of, I kind of, I'm more pessimistic. I wonder if he looked at that poster every day and said, I'm never, ever, (laughs) never ever working. I'm going to get paid. That's what I'm going to get. I'm going to get paid every day. That's that's my reminder every day. I wake up in the morning. What am I going to do today? I'm going to get paid. That's what I'm going to get. So what am I not going to do? That. Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, it it could have been. Actually, it actually could have been something like that. I just thought it was. uh, I don't know. I almost get the feeling, and what do I know from a hole in the wall? But I almost get the feeling that maybe you know at the time, yeah, he hated it. Yeah, he griped about it. He didn't get paid. It was a schlocky little movie and everything. But maybe over time, as it kind of developed that kind of cult following, you would hope to think that maybe he did, even though he did such great movies after that, you know, Papillon and things like that, that maybe he did have a bit of an appreciation for it, having helped launch his career and maybe been, you know, kind of a nice little movie. Yeah, hopefully. You I mean, hope. hopefully you always appreciate where you came from. Yeah. Yeah. Or then again, maybe you're right. I'm never fucking doing that again. I'm Steve McQueen. Give me a motorcycle. I'm off. All right. What about the quality and quantity of the extras that we do have? What What, what are your thoughts? And I know you're going to tell me I don't usually do this. I, I This is the first time you've been on it. But watching what you have, were you satisfied with it? 
what do you mean by extras? Like the extra? The, yeah. The, the number of extras and the extras that you do have, are they, you know, are they good quality? Yeah. Tough to say. Cause the only thing I really had were, were the two commentaries to go off of. And I thought they were, yeah, I thought they were subpar because again, they were, they were just very, it was literally not much different than like you say, you don't like the film critic. It may as well have been, a film critic just talking about what he's seeing on the screen. There were some good behind the scenes from the director, from Shorty Yeworth, and and there were some good things uh, from the producer talking about when they did get into some of the details of how they got the film funded, you know, how they went to this, you know, how they got uh, was it Paramount Universal? Which one was it? Paramount. Paramount. How they got them involved with it and how they got it. You know how he was a distributor initially. So even though he didn't have distribution lined up for it, he knew he could get it regionally distributed and then call in favors, things like that. I really enjoyed, but there wasn't enough of it to really maintain your attention, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the quantity of extras is severely lacking. I mean, you have two commentaries, a trailer and this blob of blob of blob of bilia, whatever mm-hmm. the fuck that is. Okay. A commentary and a trailer, I believe, are minimum standards on a normal DVD, not even yeah. a Criterion. And the, you gave you gave me an extra the commentary, but as we've already kind of talked, as you just said, and I've already said as well, is that th- this is not people engaged in a conversation. It's people just relaying facts and information and sometimes not even related to the blob. Uh, so it doesn't play off as, as interesting. It's not as dynamic. Uh, if you will, the, as, yeah. as compared to listening to people having a discussion about it, the trailer is what the trailer is. It's just a trailer. The leaflet is a very short essay, nothing spectacular. And then the blobabilia is just a series of photographs. And it, the, so I would say the quality and quantity of the, the, the criterion in this was pretty poor compared to what I'm used to with a lot of other criterion discs. I don't know if you heard me snicker there. Every time you say leaflet, I can't help but thinking of that classic line in airplane. You know, do, do you have anything like to read? Well, how about this leaflet? Famous Jewish sports legends. I just, for whatever reason, it's a, it's a little more substantial than that. Yeah, the two times that you said leaflet, I, I don't know why my immature mind goes straight back to airplane. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you mentioned something about what they were talking about. A lot of what they were talking about was peripheral to the movie, whether it was the actor kind of talking about himself or, or a lot of times the producer in particular talking about a lot of stuff that was behind the scenes of the movie and his background, et cetera, et cetera, which is interesting to a point. I was expecting them more because, again, I hadn't seen a lot of criterions. I was expecting them more to talk about, OK, in this scene, this is how we did it. And they did that very minimally. The actor did it a couple of times, like when you were talking about the scene where they're all in the car and Steve McQueen has his back to the camera the whole time. And the director talked about that same thing, saying, look, we just didn't have the budget to bring the camera to the other side and relight and all that. So we just yeah, we put our main character with his back to the camera and we let the camera roll. I would like to see more of that. You know, how did they do this scene? How did they do that? They did that a little bit, but I just assumed there would be more of that. With two commentaries and four different people, I thought there would have been a little bit more of that on there. Yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, with when you have this, 
My biggest criticism a lot of times for many criterions is that you start giving me a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with this film. And, you know, whether it's something about the actor or it's something about the director or the source material, whatever. This is primarily about the blob, but in those commentaries, that's the only dynamic discussion you have. And I'm going to really downplay the dynamic aspect of it is they go off on tangents all over the place. Robert Fields was the worst, but you know, the yeah. only person who stayed blob centric is the, the film historian <laughs> because that's exactly. what, because that's what he was hired to do, you know, to top talk specifically about the blob and, and the way he was paired with the producer, you know, I think he, they yeah. interrupt the producer who would go off and start telling this, you know, side note of, yeah, I saw Steve McQueen like 20 years later and he wanted to rent my house or something like, you know, like, okay, that's a nice little story. And I'd love to share a beer with you sometime and hear it. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, can we focus on the film, you know, and, 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 and that that I think really caused the the, the quality and the quant the severe lack of quantity and the quality is pretty pretty low. It's 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 not impressive what we do have. My guess is that's because they were all isolated watching it independently. I guarantee if you put those four people in the same room watching it together, I think the dynamic would be totally different and they would be talking about it because one of them watching any particular scene something would trigger to one of those people in the scene where they say oh do you remember when you know the dog you wouldn't you know little things like okay the first time where we see the old man and the thing and the dog's trying to get out well there's someone holding the dog by the tail so he can't get out they say there would there would be more of that in there where if someone were to go off on a tangent i would think someone would bring them back really quickly because it watching the scene would trigger something about how they shot that scene or something that happened in that scene that was personal to them and it would get them back on track. That's, that's my guess. They just don't have that dynamic of being watching it together to play off each other. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. All right. What about, what is your favorite extra from the criterion? What, which one of the extras, which one of the commentaries is your favorite there, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I'm leaving you so naked on this. <laughs> oh, well, there's not much. You didn't do it to me. They did. There wasn't much on <laughs> this did. one. Okay. Gosh, my favorite, you know, again, it would have to go back to the commentaries. Or I could just go totally off track and say what I just looked up. I really like that poster for the, the cover. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Um, but aside of that, aside from that, the commentary – I'm just trying to think if there was a particular story that jumped out at me, and, and I, I really can't think of one. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's nothing that really jumps out of the, of the commentary that just grabs me. Uh, you know, they all had a little bit about, you know, working with Steve McQueen as a young man. Um, oh, shit. I do remember one kind of crappy story out of the commentary, if you remember, when the producer's talking about how Steve McQueen really lived life you know, on the edge and everything and how he used to tie cans to his dog and would shoot at the cans. Oh, yeah. one time he missed and killed the dog. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's, that's done. Wrong. Okay. I understand that was Steve McQueen's persona. Uh, but then, you know, the little shocking part is he followed that story up with the Steve McQueen's wife at the time told him that they played Russian roulette one time. <laughs> yeah. So. Once again, not really about the blob, but yeah. it gave you insight into who Steve McQueen was. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just don't let him walk your dog. Well, and, you know, again, but he loved the dog. You would sneak him onto the studio and sneak him onto the set. And, they, you know, they talked about how the dog would be barking during takes and stuff. And they just didn't have enough film to 
to really be able to do that, but uh, you know, to afford to be able to do second takes and such. But yeah, like I said, it, it there was nothing about it that really grabbed me because they just didn't they didn't have a good flowing dynamic back and forth that just kept you riveted the way I thought it would. And they didn't talk enough about and as a result, they didn't talk enough about the movie. They talked a lot about themselves. I'd say they literally, other than the director, it seemed like the other three, well, I'm not going to count the critic. The other two really only talked the movie about 20% and the other 70 to 80% was more about their own, you know, backgrounds and careers and et cetera. So that was a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, it, I am hard-pressed to say what my favorite extra on this is it, because, as you know, I, I, I liked elements of the producer. I liked elements of the director. I liked elements of Robert Fields, the actor. And if they'd been together, it would have been a probably a much more entertaining commentary. Uh, I didn't really care for the film historian at all. I mean, he just threw random facts out there that... I usually got discussed by one of the other three <laughs> at some point in time. Yeah, it but, could be just they were having to fill time. Like you said, when Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins do it, they'll just stall for 90 seconds. So it could be they just had to fill in fill in the blanks. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, obviously, it's got to be the co- commentaries. The, the blobabilia is just useless uh, and the leaflet is useless. And the trailer is what it is. I mean, you could see that on YouTube. You don't have to go buy a Criterion disc to do that. And yeah. so uh, obviously the commentaries have got to be the, the highlight of it, but they are not uh, really substantial or uh, what I would consider outstanding commentaries by any stretch of the imagination. Was there anything in the commentary that, that grabbed you that just, you know, oh, I didn't know that or, oh, that's kind of – for me, like I said, it was that story about Steve McQueen and just how reckless he was. But – is there anything in the commentary that really, you know, got your attention and thought, oh, that's interesting? I mean, there, the, as I've already kind of brought up, like the, the Robert Fields talking about how Steve McQueen kind of reading the director and yeah. know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and telling him just continue doing what he's doing and kind of backing up a fellow actor. You know, I, I, you know, I like those little elements of it, those, those little nuances of it. Uh, you know, and I did enjoy like Robert Fields, you know, so maybe I like the Robert Fields commentary the best where he's talking about that six shot where they're all together and Steve McQueen's got his back sitting in the car, his guys back to the camera and that yeah. they never shot coverage for Steve McQueen because they just didn't have time or the money. It was everything was just down and dirty. And the fact that he pointed that out, I was like, wow. And, and I started paying attention in the film from that point forward, you know, yeah. to watching to see if they made coverage or they just shot everything from a wide shot, you know, and, and they did it a lot. They shot a lot from wide shots. Well, it's really funny. And how that ties into one of the commentaries by uh, the director, they were so proud of the one dolly shot. That yeah. <laughs> and, and it was really funny because he talks about it before it happens. He's like, Oh, there's a, they're in the supermarket. There's this dolly shot. And Oh, did we miss? Oh, it looks like we went past it already. And he goes, well, you know, we couldn't, really do anything because we just didn't have budget but we had this dolly shot which you might have already seen and blah 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 and then they come out of the freezer in the supermarket it's like oh wait a minute here's the dolly shot and then they show this dolly shot and what's really funny is if you're not a filmmaker if you're not somebody that's really into movies if you're just a casual observer you really notice on that shot the difference of how much more of an exciting shot it is when you see them kind of walking out and walking down 
that aisle and there's stuff in the foreground that's kind of you know getting in the way of you seeing them and things like that and it actually it's it's a throwaway shot by today's standards but when you see it in the context of how the whole rest of the movie is shot, you kind of get an appreciation for how movies are shot and how directors line up things like that, whether it's with its composition or camera movement or lighting, et cetera. And it, that was one of those things that did kind of give me a little, even though I've seen it a billion, uh, you know, I, I understand the reasoning behind dolly shots and things like that from you know having gone to film school, et cetera. But when you see it like that in the context of how everything else was shot, it was like, that really is kind of that little extra bit of coolness that was, you know, kind of in that day, probably a very subtle thing for an audience to kind of feel the effect of it. So that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah. But, was all, but that's three and a half hours of commentary <laughs> for that one little bit of interest. Well, three and a half. Come on. It's an 82 minute movie. So you're, you're talking about two yeah. hours and 40 minutes. So. All right. Uh, Wait, that's the same length as Titanic, right? <laughs> yeah, about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't Titanic like two hours. Didn't James Cameron call it the first two hour and 86 minute movie or something like that? Uh, Three hours and so, 16 minutes, something like something that. Something like that. All right. Final two questions. Is the film worthy of a Criterion edition? And do we recommend picking up the Criterion disc or in your case, uh, ch- uh, checking out the Criterion channel? Yes and no. Definitely worthy of a Criterion disc, just not this Criterion. <laughs> All right. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, we already have talked about this film over on Golden Age of the Silver Screen. We both really enjoyed this film. We both liked it a lot. I think it's definitely a, a film that needed the Criterion polish. I wish they would have done it. <laughs> now, yeah. I appreciate the fact that this was made in you know 2000 and and they were that was the early days of Criterion and even these limited extras was something that not every DVD that came out in the time had. But when you re-release it, add something else. I mean, they do that from uh, time yeah. to time. When they re-release a film on Blu-ray, they add an additional extra or two. Not often, but they do it from time to time, especially when it's pretty bare-bones minimum. Armacord is the film that stands out in my mind, is that there was a difference from the first... There was two DVD ver- releases of it, and each time it was released, it had additional uh, supplemental materials. And mm-hmm. this... The, the sub, this is just I mean, this is almost a regular DVD from the the late 1990s where you basically had a trailer and maybe a commentary and that was it. And so I was extremely disappointed in this. And I would agree with you. I wouldn't recommend picking it. It's not to me. It's not worth the 20 bucks. I mean, you can find a version of the blob, the watch, a, a restored version of the blob far cheaper than, you know, paying, you know, 20 to 40 dollars for the, the, the criterion just to get this bare bones minimum extras i'm wondering if i'm just i'm kind of going through on internet movie database i'm just kind of going through i'm wondering how many of these people are still alive that if they did were able to get additional commentary and get them in the same room it looks like a lot of the teenagers you know are still are still with us i don't know how many of the crew would be because i'm sure they were all older at the time but i'm just curious if there's enough people still around that you you could do that with you know yeah, I'm sure there's somebody. <laughs> you know, like, right. Let's see how what's Danny been up to. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've seen commentaries, I've seen interviews where, like, yeah, I was, you know, I I was in charge of costumes, you know, and they do a ten or fifteen minute interview with the the person who was in charge of costumes, and at least it's something, you know, yeah. they they must have had some sort of interaction with 
the 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 actors, especially in such a small production where they were mm-hmm. kind of guerrilla filmmaking. You know, they were living yeah. together and eating together the entirety because they couldn't afford to do anything else. Well, as I and I wonder if a good source of this would be going to, as I understand, either in the town or near the town where they film this, they still do a lot of tributes to them like the the movie theater i guess is still standing and they have i think it's been restored and from what i understand they have posters and things like that from this movie i think the diner is still there it's gone through different you know uh, variations owners and things like that but i think the diner is still there they mentioned and they do i don't know if they do this once a year or whatnot but they do a recreation of everybody running out of the theater and everything so you would think somebody there has to have reached out and, and so, much, so much of the cast and crew were from that area. You'd think somebody in that town or nearby has to still be around that, that would either go and do talks at this annual event or, or whatnot. You'd think there'd have to be people associated with it that they could get to. Yeah, you, you would think they would. But once again, even if you put an extra on there about one of these events, you know, yeah. the, 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 just yeah. that the people are they're coming to this event and filming – the, the people discussing what the influence of this film had on that, that town, if you will, yeah. you know, or a documentary about the theater and the restoration that they, mm-hmm. they went through for it. I mean, that would be something, something else that would be unique to this disc, this film. Yeah. I mean, and again, the fact that it was all done in one town, you could do that rather inexpensively. You could send a crew out there for a few days covering the theater, whatever weekend they have this event or whenever it is, go out there and cover it for a weekend. It can't cost that much money. Yeah, you know, the, everything's there. The theater's there. The the diner's there. Yes, and the supermarket is there because the, <laughs> the guy – no, seriously, the guy in the uh, – one of the guys in the commentary mentioned, oh, yeah, it's my – friends so-and-so super jerry supermarket you know jerry owned it so all the stuff is still there all right well that does it for this month's review of the blob thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast if you've had a good time the fun does have to stop here you can follow us on pinterest or twitter at mh memories on either one of those social media outlets, you can keep yourself informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries, news on upcoming theatrical releases and trailers, and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. And also don't forget to subscribe to our account on YouTube, where we're now releasing our podcasts exclusively. If you subscribe to our account there, you can get updates as to when we post new material. You can give us a like or dislike if you so choose. And you possibly can leave a comment about either our opinions, the film that we're reviewing, or even a suggestion for a film you'd like us to review from the Criterion Collection. Of course, we always like the feedback that is positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show. All right, well, that does it for this episode of Criterion Critics. Join us next time when uh, Lori joins me again, and she and I are going to review the Criterion disc for Bringing Up Baby from 1938, number 1085 on the Criterion release schedule. schedule. Until then, I'm Patrick. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you all next time at our house.
This podcast is not endorsed by the Criterion Collection and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Criterion Critics, Miami Nights' main theme, is provided courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incomputech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Criterion Critics, and the Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.